You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Vancouver police have made an arrest in a terrifying home invasion and assault. A woman brutally attacked in her West End apartment. Catherine Urquhart has more on what we're learning about the 50-year-old man arrested. It was a terrifying home invasion and assault in Vancouver's West End Friday morning. A 29-year-old woman seriously injured after a man entered her suite at Beach Avenue near Jervis through an unlocked door. You should not have to feel that way. You should not have to worry about that. You're not here, not in this area. Now, with the help of surveillance video, a suspect has been arrested. 50-year-old Paul Doxey is facing a number of charges. Doxey was arrested by patrol officers this past Saturday night. Crown Council has approved charges for aggravated assault break and enter, and theft. Additional charges are being considered, and police say the Vancouver man has an extensive criminal history in other parts of the country. We know that thieves will take any opportunity that they can to enter a yard or enter a residence to steal things. That said, this woman did not deserve what happened to her. She was in a place where she should feel the safest. She was in her home. While police say the woman was struck with a blunt object, they're revealing few details about her injuries. Accused Paul Doxey remains in custody. His next court appearance, June 28th. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Vancouver police also responding today to criticism surrounding a takedown of a stabbing suspect last night. It was all caught on cell phone by multiple witnesses. Vancouver police called to the McDonald's at Hastings and Cassiar just after 10 last night. A 22-year-old Langley man was rushed to hospital with stab wounds. Police say officers tried to arrest the suspect, a 22-year-old Surrey man. But when he refused, officers deployed a taser and took the man to the ground. Regardless of the situation, uh, I think it was a complete overreaction on the part of the Vancouver Police Department. Um, I think it's hard to argue that there wasn't a racial component involved, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I posted the video. Uh, I find it hard to imagine the same thing happen, happening to someone um, who was white. The officers started out by giving the suspect uh, verbal commands and asking uh, him to surrender so they could arrest him, and they had their guns out at that time. Uh, he was uncooperative. Uh, the officers there had to act quickly. It was a very dynamic uh, situation. They did deploy a taser, uh, and they did pull him to the ground by his backpack and were able to safely arrest him. Uh, and, you know, this situation, when you look at the amount of bystanders that were around uh, him, uh, the officers had to act very quickly for the safety of the other bystanders, for the safety of the officers. Dramatic testimony today at the Oscar Arfman murder trial. Arfman pleading not guilty to killing Abbotsford Police Constable John Davidson. But today a witness took the stand sharing his story of seeing a man carrying a gun that day. Our Ramina Dea was in court for that testimony and Ramina, the evidence includes dash cam footage. It does, Chris, and that dash cam footage picked up the 911 call that the witness made. It was played in court. It is a crucial piece of Crown's case. 
The accused Oscar Arfman taken down by police moments after he was followed by witness Larry Seifert, who says he was pulling out of a drive-through when he called 911. The call captured on dash cam played in court. Dispatcher, what is your emergency? Witness, I'm at the McDonald's. There's a guy in the parking lot here with a effing rifle shooting at cars. They shot the windows out of a guy's pickup. I don't know if it's a pellet gun or a rifle. I'm following him. Dispatch, do you have a description of this vehicle? Witness, he's an old guy. I'm trying to figure out. It's a black Mustang with Alberta plates, and he's driving really, really calmly up the road. Dispatch, do you know if anyone is injured? Witness, I have no idea. The passenger windows are shot out of the vehicle in the parking lot. Dispatch, you're at a safe distance, right, sir? Witness, I'm in a car. If he stops and pulls his gun out on me, I'm going to run him over. It's just that simple. Dispatch, I don't want you to follow him anymore. Witness, no, I'm going to keep following him. I'm not scared of him. Defense suggesting maybe it wasn't Arfman, it was someone else. Seifert admitted he never saw anyone fire a gun. He's not even sure if he saw a pellet gun or a rifle. Seifert only heard it was a rifle on the news. Now, defense also told the court that it doesn't make sense that Arfman would be driving so calmly, not not any panic at all, and that he would return to the scene of the crime if he was the gunman. Chris. All right, Ramina Day, alive in New West. Thanks, Ramina. Charges have been stayed against Jaspal Atwal. He is the man who sparked criticism when he was spotted at an event during Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's trip to India last year. Atwal was charged in May of 2018 with uttering threats to cause death or bodily harm in connection with an incident involving a Punjabi radio host in Surrey. Atwal pleaded guilty, pleaded not guilty rather, to the charges when they were announced. BC Prosecution Service confirming today those charges have been stayed, citing further information received by the Crown. After reviewing the information, the prosecutor concluded the charge approval standard could no longer be met. Atwal was previously convicted of trying to assassinate an Indian cabinet minister in B.C. in 1986. B.C. care providers holding an emergency meeting in Kelowna today, unable to hire the people they say they need. They're approving a formal complaint over restrictions placed on out-of-province care aides. Richard Zussman explains why the group believes provincial practices have made hiring nearly impossible and how the province defends its policies. We're going to get you in the chair here. and then I'll It's been three months since Rusty Mann started working as a care aide in the Okanagan, and he's already seen the pressure on workers like himself. There we go. I've worked in instances where it's been myself uh, taking care of uh, 20 residents. Here we go. But challenges like that pale in comparison to what it took to get the job. Mans from Ontario. Out-of-province right. care aides have Here to do are. a written exam and complete a sit-down test only available in Vancouver. And on top of that, all the fees that come with doing the tests as well, they don't make it cheap and they definitely don't make it easy. Hey, Stories like this are why the BC Care Providers Association are filing an official complaint against the province over how out-of-province care aides get work in BC. The association representing care aides says the treatment of out-of-province workers is unjust. The regime that was been uh, Im implemented here in, in BC puts undue uh, 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 hardship on uh, folks from other provinces. 
Care homes across BC are struggling to recruit aides to look after seniors. Our population is getting older, our workforce is getting older, and we just don't have the same amount of numbers of, of qualified candidates to uh, work in the healthcare world. The provincial government says they aren't the ones that made these changes. The previous government did. The reason why? To improve standards. Because there were concerns that workers coming into BC didn't have the right training or skills. Our standards for care aides are higher, but I think uh, objectively the families of people in care and people in care think that's a good thing. Awesome, here we are. As for getting more care workers in the system, the province says it's increasing funding for homes and increasing training for aides. Yeah, how's your knee doing? But until those changes kick in, man and others like him will still be working for the help they so desperately need. Oh, okay. Richard Zussman, Global News, uh, Victoria. A key decision on the future of the Trans Mountain Pipeline comes tomorrow. The federal government will decide the fate of the expansion project. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more. Keith, a new poll suggests the majority of British Columbians do support this project. What do you expect we'll see tomorrow? Yeah, we'll get to the poll in a moment, uh, Sophie, but widespread speculation. Tomorrow's going to see the green light for this project. Of course, it was approved last year, but the Federal Court of Appeal ordered the government to go back to the drawing board and consult with First Nations. That's been done now. More than 100 First Nations have been consulted. So the material, construction material, uh, everything's ready to go uh, pending tomorrow's decision. But as you mentioned, it will come one day after a release of a poll today, uh, which confirms public opinion in B.C. remains pretty consistent. A majority of British Columbians support the pipeline project. 60% support it, 29% by very strong views, 31% somewhat, and less than half, 29% oppose the pipeline project. And it doesn't really matter where you live. The numbers don't change depending on the regions. For example, Metro Vancouver, uh, still 56% support, uh, residents there support uh, the uh, uh, project. That number hasn't changed over time. And interestingly enough, an even higher number on Vancouver Island over here, supposedly green uh, country, uh, support the pipeline. And the north in the interior, of course, has always traditionally had much more support for the pipeline. And that's borne out in this poll as well. We caught up with Premier John Horgan today. His government, goes, of course, opposed the pipeline project and have for some time. And uh, he says it's just not changing his mind. I uh, need to remain fast to the people of British Columbia who made sure, to, told me to make sure I'm protecting BC's interests at all times. And I'll continue to do that. And, and as the federal government makes their choices, uh, they're going to have to do that within the law. And I'm going to have to act within the law. And that's what I set out to do. And that's what I'll continue doing. All right, Keith, if the project does indeed get that green light tomorrow, what's the next step for it? Well, the next interesting step is going to be whether that uh, talks, negotiations with two uh, First Nations organizations, Iron Coalition and Project Reconciliation, whether they ramp up in earnest. And if the federal government can find a way to get First Nations to buy into this project, it's going to be hard for protesters to maintain opposition to it. Nevertheless, you can expect the proverbial long, hot summer, Sophie, over there, particularly near where we are mm -hmm. at Global BC, because that's where the protest camp has been in the past. I expect it will be resurrected again if construction begins anew. Our cameras and reporters are ready for it, Keith. Thank you. New details tonight of the federal government's incentive plan for first-time homebuyers. The program will launch September 2nd, just days before the federal election call. Under the plan, Ottawa would advance an interest-free loan of up to 5% of the purchase price of an existing home and up to 10% for a new home. Buyers have 25 years to repay the money or sooner if the property is sold. 
And if the price goes up, Ottawa gets a percentage of that increase. But if the price decreases, then Ottawa will shoulder some of that loss. The incentive is only available to buyers with a household income below $120,000 a year. A rapturous celebration for the Toronto Raptors. What seemed like the whole city came out to watch the NBA champions victory parade. But it wasn't without some setbacks. What almost spoiled the party in just over a minute? Barely controlled chaos in Toronto today as Canada's biggest city virtually shut down for a victory party. Snowbirds flying in formation over that sea of humanity in downtown Toronto as hundreds of thousands turn out for the Raptors victory parade. At one point, people were sent running from Nathan Phillips Square when a shooting left four people with serious but non-life-threatening injuries. Overall, though, this was a peaceful celebration. Organizers were expecting as many as two million people, and while there are no official estimates, it certainly looked like that many people lining the streets of Toronto. Whatever the number, it was an unprecedented victory parade for a Canadian city celebrating an unprecedented championship. It's a celebration Toronto has never seen before. Hundreds of thousands of people packed the city's downtown core celebrating the Toronto Raptors championship win. People gathering early to watch celebrations at Nathan Phillips Square with the surrounding streets overflowing with fans. Areas along the parade route also filled with people, starting at Princess Gate in the city's west side. We want to see Kawhi and uh, Kawhi and Kyle. We want to see both those guys. Big fans, right? On the Gardner Expressway, vehicles pulled over and spectators got out to watch the celebrations unfold. It's amazing. Everybody's out. I don't believe nobody went into work today. Oh, they got the, the first little hours of their day off. That was the plan for many people attending Monday's festivities. But that half day quickly turned into a full day after the parade took much longer than expected. Packed crowds caused delays along the route and celebrations at Nathan Phillips Square started three hours late. At the event, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Mayor John Tory and Ontario Premier Doug Ford. The Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford! We received a mixed reception from the thousands of people in the audience. The players, however, getting a much different response. Thank you for inspiring us. Thank you for making us proud. Thank you for bringing us together like never before. Thank you for winning in such spectacular fashion. The mayor announcing the renaming of part of Bremner Boulevard as Raptors Way and giving each player a key to the city. Give yourselves a round of applause because we wouldn't be doing this for you if it wasn't for you guys. The players addressed the crowd thanking fans for their like constant said, support. Enjoy this, enjoy this moment and have fun with it. Aha, ha, ha, ha. The celebration ending with Drake, who had the final word. You deserve this in the best way possible. Make some noise for your team, the greatest in the world. Eric Avella, Global News. That Kawhi laugh, there's nothing like it. <laughs> He's a fun guy. <laughs> For the second year in a row, farmers in the North Okanagan are fighting alien invaders intent on destroying their crops. Yellow-striped armyworms are attacking crops like alfalfa, asparagus, and corn. 
This is only the second year the destructive pests have ever been found in the Okanagan, and no one knows exactly how they got there. Some farmers have been forced to make the unpopular decision to use insecticides in order to protect their crops. Eat what they want and then move to the next one. So as they're eating, they poke a little hole in, in the berry and then you can't sell it to the public. Local beekeepers are also worried that efforts to combat the worms will affect their hives. Making matters worse, the worms could be a problem right up until October. The Agricultural Land Reserve is intended to protect valuable farmland and the families who work it. But some say their livelihoods are at risk. Farmers on Vancouver Island say recent changes to the law have eroded their rights and their ability to make a living. Kylie Stanton explains. People did things in good faith. It's usually the hottest spot in town and not because it's the only one. But today, the rusted rake has closed its doors. I, I see your hand. And instead, the District A Farmers Institute is hosting a public meeting, open to anyone concerned about recent changes to legislation and the impact it's having on farmers. What's been happening lately, we don't think, is effectively preserving farmland. The catalyst for the meeting is the recent passing of Bills 15 and 52 limiting what farmers can do on their land, including what can be sold and what kind of structures can be built. We grow everything from blueberries to uh, beef to grain. The owners of the rusted rake are feeling this firsthand. They've been told the restaurant doesn't conform with the agricultural land reserve rules. In order to stay open, they're actually being forced to expand by adding a brewery. Beer. They're basically saying uh, alcohol is okay on your farm and uh, cannabis is okay in British Columbia now, but dear God, you know, we, we don't want you uh, selling food off your farm that might be grown on your farm. Or we certainly don't want a second family living on your farm. I mean, it's just, it's just really poor legislation. And the restrictions are um, impacting their ability to make a living. The Minister of Agriculture was not available for an interview, but in a statement she said, the opposition is playing fast and loose with the truth. It was the old government who established the rules around events and serving food. There hasn't been any change since. But those here say that's not their reality. It's just more, more rules on top of more rules. I think they need to take a step back. And I think they need to listen to farmers. Until changes are made, farmers have no choice but to play by the rules, leaving this restaurant and all of its potential hanging in the balance. We've got to be able to value add what we do. And someone that's willing to take the risk should have that right. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Residents of an Aldergrove neighborhood are coming together tonight to support a woman whose pride flag was temporarily seized by the municipality. Last night, we told you about Lisa Ebenall, who'd put up a pride flag on her property. But the township took it down after one neighbor complained. Officials later returned the flag and apologized, saying municipal workers had mistakenly believed the flag was covering a city-owned sign, didn't realize it was on private property. Tonight, at least eight other neighbors have put up their own pride flags in support of Ebenall's message of tolerance and acceptance. It's a really nice feeling to know that uh, the community is, is coming together and supporting something so positive. When I just wanted to put up a flag to support Pride Month, I never thought it would, you know, sort of take on a life of its own and turn into something. But I'm kind of glad it did because it, it opened up a conversation and it uh, ended up being a really positive thing.
A North Carolina teenager says she's alive today thanks to her mother's intuition and an app on her phone. The girl became pinned in her car when it careened off the road and tumbled down an embankment. Miguel Almaguer has more on how she was eventually found. Please send someone, please. The 911 call led emergency crews to the wreckage, but it wasn't a search team that found 17-year-old Macy Smith pinned under her car. My daughter is in a ditch in a ravine. Her mother, Katrina Alexander, used the Find My Friends app to pinpoint her daughter's remote location after she missed curfew. We would have never known where to look. After setting off to meet a friend, Macy hydroplaned off a rural road near Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, her car flying 25 feet off an embankment, flipping over three times, slamming into a ravine. And my head was in the back seat, my stomach on the console, and my feet at the steering wheel. Macy waited seven hours in a ditch for help. After dark, her mother deciding to use the location sharing app to track down the teen. That is what saved her life. Tonight, Macy is recovering from a fractured neck after a remote rescue pulled off by an app and the one person who would never give up hope. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. Some time-lapse video shows Mexico's Popocatapetl volcano erupting to life again this morning. The volcano sent a cloud of ash more than four kilometers into the sky, drifting across central Mexico and falling onto nearby communities. Amazing. Legendary fashion designer and socialite Gloria Vanderbilt has died at the age of 95. Vanderbilt was born into wealth and privilege, but lived a life filled with both success and tragedy. Gloria Vanderbilt had many titles, socialite, artist, designer, writer, wife, and mother. She also had a famous name, born in France in 1924, an heir to the Vanderbilt Railroad fortune. When she was 10, at the height of the Depression, her aunt battled publicly to take custody of Gloria. Newspapers covered every moment of the tabloid trial and dubbed her the poor little rich girl. She first married at 17 and went on to marry three more times. Vanderbilt had two sons with conductor Leopold Stokowski, two more sons with writer Wyatt Cooper, including her youngest, Anderson Cooper, who remembered his mom today on CNN. She was determined to make something of her life. In the 70s, Vanderbilt would lend her famous name and larger-than-life personality to the rear pocket of designer jeans, fashioning a $100 million-a-year business. Because Gloria Vanderbilt bottoms all the top. And while her public life was glamorous, gracing the pages of fashion magazines, there was private pain. She witnessed her son Carter, Anderson's brother, take his own life. I often think that I was the first face that he saw, and I was the last. Anderson Cooper said his mother was recently diagnosed with advanced cancer. What an extraordinary life. What an extraordinary mom. And what an incredible woman. She died at home, surrounded by family and friends. Kate Snow, NBC News. In Health Matters tonight, a new provincial government program will help promote mental wellness among South Asian youth by training other young people to help make the change. The Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions is putting just over $100,000 into training 100 South Asian youth ambassadors in mental health for first aid certification, cultural safety and overdose crisis education. The government says South Asian youth often suffer in silence because of lack of cultural specific support.
We've all heard of depression, anxiety, and stress, but there are over 200 different types of mental health illnesses, and it is very important to know about them because they completely change how someone acts, feels, and thinks. I feel as though in our community it is a very underlooked problem, and um, programs like this um, give youth the initiative to take charge and take care of their own community. UBC scientists have made a major breakthrough researching one of the fastest growing diseases today. Working with scientists in Sweden, they've made a discovery that could lead to a safe new treatment for type 2 diabetes. Linda Ellsworth has the details. We know that carrying around extra weight isn't good for us. It can cause any number of health complications. Obesity is the, the biggest risk factor for type 2 diabetes. Uh, but with that, we know that some patients who have obesity get diabetes, some patients don't. What's the next step then? But at the Centre for Blood Research at UBC, they're getting close to finding out why. Very close. It has to do with a protein called CD248. We found that uh, mice with um, um, elevated levels of CD248 had a high risk of developing diabetes. The CD248 protein can be found in fat cells. Some mice and people just naturally have higher levels than others. How do they know it can make some people more susceptible to developing type 2 diabetes? Mice, even though they're obese, if we remove the CD248 from the fat cells and they're still obese, we can revert the diabetes to a non-diabetic situation. So this is from the white adipose tissue. You'd think that creating a therapy that could safely reduce or remove CD248 from fat cells would be the next obvious goal, but you never know. These kinds of lines of research open up other avenues. And so it's always difficult to predict, will this be the one or will it open up something else? It's an encouraging discovery, especially when you consider that one in three Canadians has diabetes or is on the verge of developing it. In the many years that I've been doing research in medicine in general, I think this is probably the most exciting advance that I've been involved in. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, we've all heard of therapy pets visiting senior centres. Usually it's dogs or cats, but seniors at a Langley Care Home had a different kind of visitor today. <laughs> Alex Peters brought her miniature horse to the Langley Lodge to visit her grandfather. And while she was there, she took Gunner around to say hello to the other residents. Would you like a nice carrot or something? Oh, <laughs> good. Oh, that's what he wants. <laughs> yeah. I brought him to see you. Oh, good. He wants to see you. He wants to see me. See you me. My grandpa has always been my number one supporter um, with my horses in my in my life and um, ever since 2016 he came to the home and he hasn't been part of it and we just wanted to do it for something special. Sorry. Okay. A lot of people are marking it on their calendar ready to pay big bucks to see Oprah Winfrey as she takes her self-help tour across Canada. But some students and teachers in Montreal got their own special visit after students of one super fan teacher made a video asking her to stop by. 
There was a long receiving line awaiting for the star as parents, students, and teachers at Collège Beaubois greeted her. It continued to all these beautiful Valerie Kamel has been using Oprah's wisdom in her classroom for years. When the students heard Oprah was coming to Montreal, they made a video to help make their teacher's dream of meeting Oprah come true. Opportunity to be called on stage and then to say we're coming to school was was unimaginable beyond I could not fathom or wrap my mind around it. I could not. Kamel says Oprah taught her to understand her students better and to listen and celebrate their differences. All I know is that you're here with me and you matter, what you say matters, and the time you give me, I will take it and I will make the best of it and I will make sure you feel happy in my class because of Challenge Day. I wish I was in your class. (laughs) The high school English teacher still can't believe it. This all started as like a little joke. My mom said, I got a month to meet Oprah. I'm going to try to make it happen. All of the students are all inside. Like, students told the to superstar to about how she helped them with their personal challenges, including mental health issues. The inability to say I need help or the inability to say, you know, I'm having some, some issues today or I'm not really myself today. I am so proud of you for that. She talked about to lead with humanity. That's going to be my tagline. I'm going to make a mug with that for my kids. And Oprah also had kind words for the teachers she met. And I would just like to say to those of you who have chosen this as your honored profession and calling, in my opinion, there is no higher calling. There is no greater good you can do in the world. Parents hope that Oprah's life story inspires the next generation of leaders. She fulfilled every dream, even when the doors were closed. So I want him to learn from that experience. The shocking find customs officials at JFK Airport made when they searched a man's carry-on luggage. You won't believe it. That's coming up right after the forecast with our birthday girl. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Happy birthday, Christy Gordon. Thank you. A great day out there today for my birthday. If only I could be out of there enjoying it, but I'll get (laughs) home soon enough. Uh, Yes, so today's day 10 of dry weather across our region. Just wanted to back up and look at May. So we only had a couple of weeks of moisture in May. The entire last week was dry. Now look at June. A lot of zeros on here with just two days with significant moisture. And uh, it's been 10 days since we've had that significant moisture on June 7th. So a total of 9.4 millimeters of rain. We are way below average for what we would see. And so I wanted to show you this. the province of BC has just updated their drought levels. A lot of areas now at a very high level. Now, keep in mind, this is different from your watering restriction levels. That's a municipality thing. Uh, this is um, a BC-wide sort of look at how dry it is. Um, what the level three is, you can see one at level four, but level three generally says that they're hoping that you'll do voluntary water restrictions around uh, your area. So it is exceptionally dry, especially in that northeastern corner. Now, we are in for a change, though. How However, it doesn't meet a lot of moisture. Most of the moisture will be in the far north. This is right through until Friday morning. So over the next three days, we'll see this. And then a lot of it in Alberta. So that's good news for them. Although we won't see much, especially across the south coast. Maybe a couple of millimeters, maybe a bit of drizzle. And that's about it. So our dry weather continues. And we've had a ton of lightning over the last few days. And that's not going to change, especially on Wednesday. We're expecting significant thunderstorms. We have 21 lightning. Lightning cause um, fires across the province right now, and we're up to 47 in total. 
So it's a little dire, that's for sure. Although the North Coast will see rain tomorrow, but most areas will be dry and sunny. We still have a risk of thunderstorms in through the southeastern corner of our province. For our area, we'll see more cloud tomorrow, so that's the change, but not a lot of moisture. A slight chance of light drizzle or, um, or light rain in the morning, and that's about it. Slight chance of showers Wednesday, Thursday, but then we're back to sunshine. And I'll leave you with a beautiful shot of two little... Uh, they look like bandits there yeah, hiding do. out there. And then also, um, Jean said this is her Uber duck. <laughs> the mummy carrying her two babies. Well, there is ride sharing. <laughs> okay. yeah, that's great. Thanks. Thanks very much, Christy, and happy birthday. A man has been arrested at JFK Airport in New York after authorities say he tried to smuggle more than $100,000 worth of live birds into the country. 39-year-old Francis Gurahu is accused of smuggling 14, or pardon me, 34 finches from Guyana inside hair curlers in his carry-on luggage. Prosecutors say the finches are used in singing contests in Brooklyn and Queens where wages are placed on the birds with the best voice. A finch that wins these <laughs> competitions can sell in excess of $5,000. Gurahu admitted he intended to smuggle the birds in the hair curlers to avoid the mandatory 30-day quarantine. Poor birds. Yikes. Too bad. Um, Finch singing contests? Boy, yeah, people, you know it's a thing. People it's will a, bet on anything. It's Finch Idol. <laughs> it's a good thing we're not singing happy birthday right now. <laughs> we, we, need Finch. we missed and his and last Squires week. And was yeah, last well, week. That was a rumor. I, I, I can't confirm that rumor. <laughs> They said we're pudgy. I meant the we show are. was pudgy. Oh, okay. Time. We're swelling. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's try to thin things out, shall we? It's uh, looking more and more like Alex Edler might see what's out there in free agent world on July 1st because he and the Canucks cannot come to a deal. Now, that can be looked at both ways as a bad thing because when he is healthy, he is still, at the moment, Vancouver's best defenseman. Or a good thing. Because Alex Edler is like your accident-prone friend. He never goes through a season without getting hurt. And if he wants at least a three-year deal at the age of 33, that's a bit too long for a rebuilding team like the Canucks. The sad thing, though, is Vancouver won't get anything for him if he leaves as a free agent. And as much as he loves Vancouver, he would be crazy not to see what other teams would offer him because somebody will take a chance and likely give him what he wants. There aren't a lot of decent defensemen on the free agent market, so supply and demand are in Edler's favor for one last big contract. Eric Carlson won't be a free agent. He'll continue to swim with the Sharks. Eight-year deal, $11.5 million per season signed today. He's now the NHL's highest paid defenseman. Since 2009, no defenseman has scored as many points as Carlson. However, eight years with a no-trade clause, that could backfire on San Jose if his skills really diminish. Well, as you saw earlier on the show, there was a lot of love for the Raptors today, but a lot of it was expressed towards Kawhi Leonard. There were signs that said, stay. Signs that said one more year, four more years, five more years. They wanted Prime Minister Trudeau to give him Canadian citizenship on the spot. Whatever it takes to keep him with the Raptors, but all indications are Kawhi Leonard will test the free agent market in July. At his speech to the crowd today, it didn't quite sound like a man who was planning to come back next season. I just want to say thank y'all for welcoming me here after the trade with open arms, man. 
It made my experience that much better. These group of guys let me do what I do on the floor. Coach Nick let me do what I do. And now we got a championship. Does he want another one in Toronto? I don't know. The BC Lions' first game against Winnipeg on Saturday wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great. They lost 33-23 to the Blue Bombers. It's understandable they weren't quite in sync. New head coach, new players in key positions. You could have started training camp in January, and they still would need real games to fully mesh. But that explanation does have a shelf life. They'll need to ramp things up, get further up the learning curve against Edmonton on Friday. If you ask the offense, they'll tell you the timing was a bit off. We had a great camp, and there was things that we were messing up that we didn't, we didn't mess up in camp. But that's to be expected, you know, when the lights are on and you're playing for real. Ask the defense, and it was just a matter of guys not being on the same page. It was all on us. It was communication. And the type of defense we play, you got to communicate. If you don't communicate, we all going to look bad, and that's what they did. What Winnipeg did was exploit those communication breakdowns for 170 yards rushing. But on the bright side, the Bombers' passing attack was not as effective. We kept Knuckles on the 200 yards passing. I mean, compared to what other quarterbacks did, we won four, 500 yards, so that was a bright spot. The bright spot for the offense was the promise of Riley's strong arm being realized a few times. Yes, big plays are once again possible with BC. We got a big, a bunch of big-time playmaker guys, and I think all of them showed up and, and had some, some opportunities that they took advantage of. Um, you know, there was one drive we started on our own two-yard line, and I think two plays later we were down on, on their 15 or their 10 or something like that. So that's certainly uh, something we want defenses to have to worry about. We're one or two plays away from, you know, being in that game in contention at the end. So you have to understand, and we're still trying to gel and fill each other out. I mean, it's, for some guys, it's the first time they've played full-speed reps as a group and as a unit. So you've got some cleaning up to do. A lot of teams and their core has been together for a while, so we still have to find our way. I expect us to be a great football team all year long. Um, we're certainly not there yet, but uh, we have the ability to do it. Um, but it's going to take a lot of hard work, and I don't think there's any doubt in my mind about that. I wasn't expecting us to come out and play like a Grey Cup championship team on the first game, but we got to find ways to win uh, until we get to that level. Women's World Cup, Germany, one of the favorites against South Africa. It's already 1-0 for Germany. You can't be giving the Germans gifts like this. Sarah Dubritz makes it 2-0 in the 29th minute. Then, Alexandra Pop with some pop. Off the head, back of the net, 3-0. Then Lena Magul, diving header hits the post. She's there to clean up. 4-0 the final. Canada's next game will be Thursday against the Netherlands. All right, even before the dust had settled on the Toronto Raptors NBA championship, the experts were predicting a guaranteed spike in Canadian kids taking up the game. But what about the possibility that the Raptors' success might bring the NBA back to Vancouver? Squire. No. As <laughs> Sorry. Aaron, as Aaron MacArthur reports, that scenario is a bit of a Hail Mary. Celebrating the big win, it seemed like half of Toronto skipped work Monday. The championship might mean the world to fans right now, but what it brings down the road is what has the basketball world buzzing. SFU men's basketball coach Steve Hansen says the win will mean more kids picking up a ball, 
and more players means more opportunity. Just thinking back to the Grizzlies era, the amount of kids that were 9, 10, 11, 12 years old that grew up watching the Grizzlies. It was a huge cohort of, of uh, talent in BC during that time, and I, and I hope it has the effect in our country that it, I'm sure it will. In Vancouver, the fans are feeling just a little bit nostalgic. The Raptors came into the league at the same time as Vancouver's professional basketball team. What could have been if the Grizzlies stuck around? Fans want pro ball back on the West Coast. Basketball's growing in Canada, so definitely, why not? The NBA, if they come back to Vancouver, they can make a lot of money here. We have a lot of fan base. But that isn't going to happen anytime soon. An NBA team now worth north of a billion dollars. More problematic is our neighbor to the south. Seattle, one of the premier sports destinations in North America, and it doesn't have a team either. No Supersonics, no Grizzlies. And then, in the next 10 years, a decade from now, I believe, the Vancouver market will get an NBA team back. But it's also going to require a different type of ownership structure. What the Aquilinis are going to have to do is get other business people involved with them, maybe Asian investors. That doesn't mean kids can't dream big. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. We need the Grizzlies back. Yeah, we do. Even if it's a little, we just need it. We just need it. It would would have been fun if it would be fun if they'd come back, but the only way they would come back is through expansion, and there is no plans for the NBA to expand right now. If a team moves, it would likely move to Seattle. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. That ship has sailed. Have a great night, everybody.